Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is Fucking, fucking killing, killing Me. I'm Rainy. I'm Corinne. Happy 80th! This is our 80th episode. Listeners, guys, pals, people out there. Oh. Not just my mom anymore. Our podcast is almost two years old, and our podcast is 80 episodes old. old. 120 hours of us talking to amazing people. Mm-hmm. I think it's been an, like an amazing experience to meet people that would probably probably wouldn't get to meet in the first place. Getting them to sit down with us in a casual setting where they just like open up and unload. We get to know them on what feels like a really personable and personal level. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we've made a network that we've that was much vaster than if we would have just stayed inside our own community or not had this experience. Mm-hmm. It's also made us think about <laughs> something that we've been talking a lot about as a duo mm-hmm. and something that I've been thinking a lot about as I complete my thesis um, in terms of like citations and referencing historical figures, scholars, backgrounds who have come before me where my re- research is inspired from. Um, how it influenced my research, how it influenced what I do now as a dancer and as an artist. And we're going to say this once. Probably more than once. But we're going to say it loud right now. We're going to say it loud and clear. Plagiarizing means to directly copy. Copy something that isn't yours without referencing or say something that it is your words when it is not. Or take ideas that weren't originally yours and not reference the people that have come before you. And we're experiencing this a lot. Yeah. For a couple of reasons. We see you, other podcasts that look a lot like ours. Yes. Sound a lot like ours. And here's the thing. We get that there's room for everybody. Yeah. But where it's hurting us the most is how much you have not referenced us as your, let's call it inspiration. Right. If we were. If we were. Right. Or you think that you can do what we're doing better than us. Right. And that's where it's really hurtful. If you liked the ideas that were coming in that we were doing, yeah. then you should have applied for the position. We had a job opening. We're very lovely people. We want you to come work for us. We want to grow our team. We want to talk to so many different types of people. Yeah. But when you're doing a podcast that's the exact same as ours without referencing the people that come before you, without referencing where your inspiration comes, without referencing these ideas, the exact same ideas, having the exact same guests that we've had on, this is where it gets problematic for me because it's insulting and it's it's also... It's also, like, funny that you wouldn't think that we would find it or, like, notice. Yeah. Like, the world's not that big. Toronto's not that big. Canada's... a small community. Not that big. Yeah. So that's one thing. And then my other thing is um, specifically for, like, artists and dancers in the community that are creating work that is very, very clearly carbon copies of other work. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't know your historical referencing. You don't know. And I think you really need to question your intentions, your intention behind why you're creating specific works. Yeah. Because someone who's very close to other works, I find it very upsetting. And quite frankly, I will not be purchasing a ticket to your show ever because of it. 
No. I would agree. Mm-hmm. And I would just like challenge those if you think you're doing it, you're just like doing the thing in a different city because you see how much that other show is making or you think how successful that other show is, why are you creating art mm-hmm. or an experience or whatever you're calling it? It's for money. What are you giving back to the audience or like what are you giving back to the community? Mm-hmm. So not to start that off on a negative note, but we just wanted to make our thoughts very clear. And this has been something that's like, this isn't something we've been thinking about lightly. This isn't something that we have just like thrown out and been like, let's do an entire five minute segment about this. No, we have been talking about this for the past, you know, I've been feeling upset about certain instances and certain things for at least two years. And these are things that we have thought out. And then it's getting to a point that you're, we're constantly being pushed and it just, I'm really challenging. It's also like upsetting as a community that we, we aren't, why aren't we referencing our own community? Right. Yeah. It's like, like, there's nothing bad about being like, yeah, I saw this idea that happened. I was super inspired by that. And that's why I created this. Right. It's like stealing like an artist. Yeah. It's like, we're stealing, but then you make it your own. And when you're not making it your own anymore, that's where like, there seems to be. Or where you think that you are this like almighty person who has all original ideas no. Yeah. It's literally all been done before. Nobody's making anything Nobody's new. inventing the wheel. No. We're not reinventing the wheel. You're doing something that's been done before, so know where that comes from. Do your research. Mm-hmm. And if it's coming from somewhere else, just say that. No one's going to not come to your show or be mad at you because of that. No. Exactly. <sighs> These are our thoughts. and This please, is our 80th episode. This is our 80th episode. <laughs> and also thank you, Ryan Hines. <laughs> You're the best. You were hilarious. You were hilarious. And we love you. (laughs) And we love you. And thank you all for listening. And we'll see you soon. Yes. That was all in love. Yes. All within our own loves and our own thoughts. (laughs) Here we go. So my name is Ryan G. Hines. I'm 40 years old. I'm from Mississauga, Ontario, and I live in Toronto, Ontario. Um, I'm a theater artist and broken down, that means I act and sing and dance and direct and write and do collective creation uh, and produce uh, except I'm more than a theater artist as well, because sometimes I do like film and TV and commercials. But I uh, uh, identify most as theater artist. That's my jam. I'm just stop eating these skittles. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be like me. I'm gonna finish my croissant. <laughs> it's just like I was like, at least if one person has one skittle, that means I didn't eat the entire bag. <laughs> <laughs> They're good. Sour skittles are like one of my favorite treats. Um, did you know that there are spicy skittles? What? Yeah. So my friend Lydia at work, I had these at work too because it was Mm -hmm. a giant bag. And she was like, I gave her some. And she's like, did you know that there are spicy Skittles? And they are amazing. I would eat the hell out of some spicy Skittles. So there's like a bodega or a shop in her building at the bottom and she's found them there. It's the only place she told me. Maybe you have to order them or maybe they're like an American thing. I don't know. Yeah. Just so you know, in case you ever see them, they're good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. Um, Do you want to talk about the audition and the callback? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so it was for uh, uh, it was for a big musical, and it was really exciting. Um, I have been. uh, I kind of took a month off 
for uh, after I finished my tour in December. So I was a little bit out of practice before the audition. So I uh, studied with a voice coach and worked really, really, really hard on it. And I went in thinking my version of success for this audition is going to be not falling on my face, is going to be hitting some notes that I like the sound of, that I think are rounded nicely and my technique is there. That's going to be my version of success. Uh, so I went in, I sang, it was for uh, one of the big casting directors in town uh, who casts a large shadow, shall we say. <laughs> and uh, for the first time ever, she was super complimentary about my audition and my work in it. I've auditioned for her a lot over the years and she's never really seemed into what I do. She, mm. We just don't click for right. whatever reason. But uh, for this, she she kept saying, super, that's that's excellent work. Very good. Very, very good. Hmm. So I was like, oh, okay. So no matter what, this audition is a success. Hooray. Uh, got a call back. That was exciting. Um, I went in. I uh, did my things again. And uh, at that point, because I kind of went in with the idea of this has already been a success for me, so it doesn't matter if I right. book the show or not, I wasn't that upset when I didn't book it, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Previously, uh, my thing definitely would have been like, cry for 24 hours and then the sad Facebook post and, oh. and you know, <laughs> that, that thing that we do and yeah. complaining to my friends. But this time, because, just because I shifted the goalposts a little and the audition became uh, something for me as opposed to for them, uh, I did better in it. And right. I, 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 was, I was happier at the end of the process, even though I didn't get the job. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. Um, do you sing the same thing in a callback as you do in the audition, or do yeah. they give you new work? Yeah. So I, uh, I we, uh, I sang the same material, uh, and this time there was just uh, more direction. They, oh, they, right. they worked, uh, they worked us a, a little bit harder. Okay. Than at the first one. Cool. Is there a dance part number? Yeah, there was. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> do you think this is going to be a common practice that you bring into your audition? Absolutely. Now, now Absolutely. Caring less. And I know that kind of sounds ironic and the opposite of, right. of what we should do. But I, I do think it's important for all of us to be serious about what we do, but care just a little bit less about it. Like not let it not let it run our lives and run our emotions and and uh, get in the way of remembering that we have full lives and our lives are not necessarily dominated or defined by our work and what we do. Totally. Totally. I think that's really common in this industry mm -hmm. to really think that what you do really defines you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it defines like your friend group or your level of success or your your value. Yeah. for what you're contributing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, like a, a, a funny thing happens, I find, is that it's never, uh, w when you think that way, it's never enough. You can be in a big show uh, 
with interviews everywhere and very successful by the definition of it. But it's still not enough. There's still there can still、mm. be something something missing. So my whole journey is yes, I have my life in theater, but one of my closest friends is somebody who is not in theater at all and doesn't come to most of what I do and does not care care、yeah. about how my audition was or what my reviews are or whatever.、Mm. Um, And that's a really, a really special, valid, strong friendship because it's based in a whole bunch of things other than what I do for a living. Right.、And、those relationships are so important.、Mm-hmm. I think、um, having relationships with peers that aren't in the same industry as you、mm-hmm. is so healthy because then you're not constantly like obsessing over it.、You're、yeah. Constantly like you don't have another person to like not be in competition with, but like another person to just like vent and like venting's good, but it's、yeah. also like super destructive and it can work you up.、Mm-hmm. You know.、Mm-hmm. And I, I just I really value as similar to you like those friendships that aren't solely invested in that you have a similar、yeah. work quality. You know? Yeah. The venting thing is 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 something that I try to be conscious of because I've definitely had the experience of I'm doing whatever show, so I wake up in the morning and I check my phone and it's texts from people about how rehearsal went the day before. Then I go into rehearsal for that day and then lunch is spent with them and then afternoon rehearsal happens and then we go out to dinner after and are still talking about rehearsal. Then I get home and I have to review what I did at rehearsal,、mm. check my phone one more time, and it's more texts from people,、uh. and I'm just like. I just want to watch Teletubbies and be left alone <laughs> and not <laughs> yeah talk or think about theater or rehearsal or right which also makes it hard I think especially for music theater people when you are doing the thing but you also love the thing like you some sometimes you just want to listen to whatever cast recording you want to go on on whoever's Instagram page and like all of their. Pictures from the West Side Story opening,、yeah. but there sometimes just kind of comes a line where you have to think, okay, my life has to be separate from theater just、mm-hmm. for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had to take、um, big breaks? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. My problem is I want to do everything now, amazingly.、Um, <laughs> And keep things going. So when I hit the wall, I really, really hit the wall hard. And when it's time to, when it's time to stop, it's it's time to stop. And I kind of pull away. I don't shave. I <laughs> I get very、um, not reaching out to my friends and not texting people. Like I really hermit up for、mm. a while. And、uh, stay that way until I can't stand myself <laughs> and <then laughs> get back into the world. Is it productive for you to do that? Yes. Yeah. 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 It's 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 like recharging a battery uh, in uh, in a way.、Uh, this industry demands a lot of our energy, and it demands a lot of our soul, and our heart, and our brain. And there's only so much of that you can give regularly before. You have to build up those resources again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when I did the so I I,、uh, I was on tour. My, this is what my year was last year, and I、um, 
I don't want it to seem like I'm complaining because that's not the point of what I'm saying, but rather to say last year, while on paper looks amazing, a lot, a lot of people think I had an amazing year last year, it was actually quite damaging for mm. me. It's quite unhealthy just in terms of the workload. So um, over the course of one year, uh, I produced uh, a show, I co-produced a show uh, for Next Stage Festival. Um, I was involved with the production side uh, and then... Uh, had one of the lead roles in the revival of Lilies at Buddies in Bad Times. I was an artist in residence for Singing Out the Gay Choir. I directed a production of Putnam County Spelling Bee. I was in a new show for Lemon Tree Creations called Private Eyes. And then I finished the year on tour uh, with It's a Wonderful Life. While at the same time, uh, dealing with my mother's cancer journey and my own kind of like up and down health. So... By the end of the year, although all these awesome things had happened, it was just past running on fumes. Like mm. the fumes were gone and the tank was empty. And, and yeah. Yeah. How did you manage to keep your work going while trying to deal with family, with your mother? Uh, it's, uh, uh, it was hard. Uh, I don't think I always made the healthiest choices for myself. But uh, my mom and I are are really really tight. Um, she's not she's not the most affectionate woman in the world. Mm. Like she's Irish, and and my family is very very waspy. And whenever I say that, they're like, "How could that be possible?" And I'm like, "Come over for dinner, and you'll see." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but even though she's not the most affectionate, uh, she and I have a really really tight bond because for a long time our family has just been us. So. Um, no matter what, uh, when she's in need, uh, I'm going to do everything I can to support her the way she has done for me my whole life, even through being a single mother. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, in, in, ter- in terms of choices, that was, a, a an easy choice to make. I was absolutely going to support my mother. Uh, but it did kind of turn into, uh, Sometimes not sleeping or or checking out of my friendships for a while. I very much didn't want my art to suffer and my work to suffer. And at the same time, it, it's hard not to let that happen because you have to be open and you have to be emotional. And um, uh, I'll use Lilies as a good example. So uh, the opening night of Lilies, which... Uh, is a play that I had been fighting for years to make happen somewhere. And, and I, I literally mean like, like 20 years. So like, I was like, somebody has to revive lilies and, and I have to play this part. And finally it got to happen. Um, and on opening night, my mom was, uh, too sick, uh, from chemo, uh, to come to opening. So, it was really, really hard to deal with the fact that more than anybody else in the world, she knew how special and how like once in a lifetime this is going to be and wasn't able to be there. So I knew that she was feeling a, a certain way about it, which meant that I couldn't feel a way about it because somebody in the room had to be strong and, right. and mm. hold things together. Right. So a lot of how I dealt with it was, was, um, uh, repressing, repressing my emotions a bit and, and turning things off and, um, being support for her and being support for the theater company. And 
How do you turn your emotions off in that way when you have to be so present on stage and so raw? Like, how do you kind of, it almost feels like an inception in acting, yeah. Yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'm a Virgo, so yeah. uh, 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 classifying things like that is easy for me. But uh, for me, I, ju I just really relied a lot on the process of creating the show and my uh, technique as a performer. Um, I'm a big process person. Like everybody, uh, everybody working on whatever show, uh, at some point you have to just kind of trust the process is going to get you to where you mm -hmm. need to go. So I put a lot of stock in uh, our rehearsal process. I put a lot of stock in, uh, I had been reading the play for 20 years, so... I knew what it was about. I knew my lines. I knew what my character was doing. I knew what, what the other characters were doing. Um, I trusted all of the other actors uh, and people working on the show to give me the space that I needed. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I really, really needed it. Uh, uh, definitely on opening, uh, maybe 20 minutes before call, I was sobbing in the stairwell at Buddies, hiding from people. And... Um, I'm not a quiet person <laughs> and the stairwell <laughs> is kind of beside the dressing room. And I'm absolutely sure, uh, I, I, I know for a fact some people heard, but they gave me my space to let that happen. And, and I appreciate that. Yeah. 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 It's like almost worse when you're like crying and upset and people try to help you yeah. Yeah. because you yeah, can't yeah. articulate what's wrong yeah. because you're crying so bad yeah. and you just like, yeah. you need to give me five. Yeah. yeah. Also, sometimes it's just like, it's a testament to how strong you have to be. It's like you need, it's like no one else is going to be able to build you up in that moment. Yeah, right. It's like that all needs to come from like within you. And that needs to be like a conversation you have with yourself. Yeah. Right. Like that's not something like someone being like, it's going to be fine. No, it's not. It's not going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I think it, it has to come all from within you. Yeah. You need to. I really believe in in the idea of the show must go on, and yeah. that idea is problematic for a lot of people, and I, I truly understand why that is, but believing in, in the ethos of the show must go on, I think, gives us strength, uh, gives us power, and it kind of lets us see outside of ourselves. It lets yes. us see the bigger thing and know that if we need to back away for uh, a little bit, there's people who will fall in and fill in uh, that space. Yeah. Um, so that was something I thought a lot about. Uh, uh, this show must go on. Even though I'm sad, uh, I still have to play my character. Even though playing my character is hard, I'm not going to bring that darkness home when I'm with my mom. I'm going to try and keep things funny and light as much mm -hmm. as I can. Um, so in that way, the show had to go on as well. Um, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I also, like, I do, I do understand the flip side. Like, it's a tricky thing. Um, I've never been in a situation where the, uh, the show doesn't go on. So when I say I believe in the show must go on, I think sometimes it means the show goes on in an altered form or not in the way that we expect or maybe without our, per, uh, our participation or maybe in a way that um, is not what anybody wanted. What, could you just clarify, what yep. is the, like... What is the problem? 
what are what is the thing that people have problems with with that yeah. statement? So uh, I think uh, a lot of people uh, see that as prioritizing other uh, prior to prioritizing the show over their own health and well-being, okay. mm-hmm. uh, prioritizing the show over how their bodies mm-hmm. are doing, um, particularly in dance and music theater. That's that's a real thing when your body just says, this is not going to happen today yeah. or mm-hmm. this week. Um, and I get it because, like, we are... We are human beings. We're not performing machines. Right. Uh, I think there's some disciplines that uh, require, uh, in a way, their participants to be machines. Music theater can really, really get mm. like that, uh, and that always makes me sad because you can always, you can always tell. You can always tell when somebody's going through the motions. Mm. You can always tell when um, somebody's present on stage but their mind is 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 uh elsewhere um okay yeah yeah you have to take yourself out of that situation you have to like realize i think as the performer that you also have power in that situation right yeah the show must go on but like you were saying change not how it was originally visioned yeah there's probably if you're in musical theater and understudy, yeah, you know, or the other people help. Yeah, yeah, we fill in the team. gaps. Sometimes yeah. a show uh, uh, must go on next week because yeah. that's <laughs> what's up. Right. Um, I had a situation uh, when I was on uh, in Orlando uh, doing my Candor and Eb show a few years ago, where we opened to a great house. We got fabulous reviews. Um, and then a few days in, uh, I got really, really sick. And I thought, oh, this is going to go away. And very quickly, it developed into pneumonia. I had a very, oh, wow. very infected That's lung. so scary. So scary, first of all, because we're in the States. And yes. healthcare is just not a thing mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is, as a Canadian, I was like, I just, I'm I mean, not going to end yeah. up paying $10,000. Can't afford that. Yeah. Um, but then the question also became, so I'm here doing this, like, uh, hour-long, heavy-sing, big-belting solo show, Mm. what exactly is going to happen? Because I can't make a sound right now. Um, So I relied heavily on uh, my music director, Justin McLean. Uh, I will credit him forever uh, for giving me the tools to be able to uh, get on stage again and make a sound that would serve the material mm-hmm. well. I cut down the show quite a bit. I removed maybe uh, 20 minutes of it. Wow. So out of an hour-long show, that's a big... It's a third. Uh, 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 yeah, uh, mm-hmm. a, a big part of it. But uh, I also thought a lot about I am here in a country that is not my own, repping not just my work, but also as part of a team with the other Canadian artists in the festival. Uh, I believe strongly in the message of the show and the material that I was doing. So I didn't want to just like take a day off and, and, and not do the show. And I also, uh, the, the, the commitment that we have as performers to the audience and to the work uh, uh, really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, had I been in a position where I couldn't have made a noise or couldn't have sung anything at all, mm-hmm. um, I would have had no choice but to cancel the show. 
had I been in a position where I couldn't sustain more than 40 minutes of talking and singing, talking and singing, uh, I would have had to cancel the show. But Justin helped me get to a place where I could get through just enough to give people uh, a really strong idea of what the show was and who I am as a performer and what I'm like as a performer. And the funny thing was, um, every second of that show, I was on stage singing and I was like, I sound, uh, this is not how I want to to be perceived. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm mm. sniffling in between every line. I'm hacking my guts out right. over the applause breaks. Like this is not the performer, <laughs> you know, that I want to be. But uh, the incredible audience that was there uh, were so supportive mm. and uh, went on the went on the the journey of the show with me, even though they weren't getting the whole mm. the whole thing. And halfway through the show. I thought that this is so. This is really special, Ryan. Get over yourself and get out of your feelings, and remember that uh, they're they're having an experience too. So at the end of the show, uh, I remember very very clearly. Uh, we got to the last song. Um, we're riding into the into the final note of the of, uh, uh, of the last song, big finale moment. Uh, as soon as I opened my mouth to hit the big note, the entire audience stood up. And I thought just, thank you, thank you, guys. Oh, thank that's you, thank so you, nice. It was really, really touching and really um, a nice reminder of, of how forgiving an audience can be. And here I had been thinking, oh, they hate this, they hate this, they hate this, I'm awful. And in reality, they were having an excellent time and, and show that. And then I walked off stage and passed out in the dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So it, it, uh, it, it was hard. I think in retrospect, had things been uh, a little different, there's a world in, in which I may have, I may have canceled uh, a show. Mm -hmm. But then I would have missed the lesson of how forgiving audiences can be. And how accepting they can be. Right. So. And that the connection with the audience is really what. Yeah. Makes that happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of theater space was that? Like, could you see your audience? Was oh, absolutely. It yeah. 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 Uh, uh, capacity was, uh, was 100. Mm. Um, rows of like, of 12. Uh, the chairs started, uh, the piano was on stage with me. So the chairs started maybe two feet in front of the stage. And right. So I, I could I could see I could see people I could I could see them very clearly very very clearly. Are you a performer who likes seeing their audiences, yeah. or do you like them in the dark? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love uh, I, I love seeing them. I love knowing they're there. Um, I don't love it if I have friends in the audience and I can see my friends. Like oh, there's. <laughs> There, yes, there, there's the Rebecca. Worst. There she is. Um, uh, but when it's uh, uh, when uh, when I can see people and I can feel viscerally how they're feeling, that's uh, when I'm happiest. I've done a lot of uh, MCing in my career, and a lot of burlesque, and a lot of mm. vaudeville, and uh, a lot of cabaret. Uh, and those are all situations where it's very much direct address and mm -hmm. you can, you can see everybody, uh, you get a good sense of the audience as a collective, uh, and how to, uh, how to, I don't want to say control, how to guide them, 
how to bring them along on the story. So that's that's a technique that I uh, bring to my theater making as well. Is um, how do I how do I kind of like lion tamer control the audience without going right to them? How do how, how do I do that within the confines of facing another actor in this scene and keeping a, a believable reality between the characters? Mm-hmm. Right. Have you ever done theater work in a different space where the audience is not in a Persimmon theater? Yeah. And, like, how do you deal with that there? Uh, uh, I feel like I'm drowning in those situations. <laughs> I feel like I'm underwater in a dark ocean. <laughs> and there's things around me that I that are going and I can't see. Um, uh, that's when you kind of get into sense stuff. Uh, that's when you kind of, uh, rely on, on, on your listening and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I'm much more of a woo woo hippie than people (laughs) think I am. So now that's about to come out. That's when you start to rely on like vibrations and psychic energy and, and, Mm -hmm. and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, and like your like, proprioception of people around exactly, you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Totally. And as dancers, like, like you guys know, that's that's a for real. Oh yeah. A for real, for real thing. And whenever I talk about it to people who aren't in the industry, they're like, "Oh, you, you can't do that. That's that that's magical thinking." And I'm like, "But some of us are magic. So like, if it works, <laughs> we for are us, magic. Then... <laughs> you feel like you're vibrating in those situations. Yeah. You're just like you can feel like the pulses of energy off of yeah. you and then other people like yeah. you're seeing things and heat waves almost. Yeah. It's not woo woo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I, over the years I've had a, I've always connected with older performers and I've always been interested in, in, in uh, previous generations more than my own or, or right. uh, necessarily the ones coming up behind me. So because of that, uh, I have been very fortunate in my life to have some really special interactions and conversations and mentorship opportunities uh, with uh, some of the masters of, uh, of the craft. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a long conversation in her dressing room once with Eartha Kitt, where wow. she was very, um, uh, very strict taskmaster in teaching me how to deal with an audience and teaching me how to select material that isn't about showing me off well, but that tells a story well Mm -hmm. and makes it interesting for the audience. So um, there's something to be said, I think, for people who have been doing the thing for decades and decades and decades and decades uh, but are still vital about it and are, st- and are super knowledgeable, knowledgeable mm-hmm. about it. All of the things that Eartha taught me, uh, I try and pass on to younger people if I'm teaching a class mm-hmm. or if I'm in conversation with them. And they're still, they're still very, very relevant. Like this, uh, this conversation with Eartha happened years and years and years ago. Like, um, I want to say mid 2000s. Uh, early 2000s Um, and the lessons are still relevant and still uh, um, uh, they still drive me and then when I share them with other people and watch them put them into practice and see right away how it shifts their work and and makes them better that's a really cool thing to me right Um, do you have a like inkling to why they're still relevant 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, audiences are audiences, and I think that they never change. I think that as much as people are always trying to be innovative with theater and dance and music and and all those things, <laughs> at the end of the day, where all we're doing is storytelling and entertaining the same way that they did in the 20s with vaudeville, the same way that they did in the 1800s with ballet, the same way that the Greeks did thousands and thousands of years ago, the same way that indigenous cultures ha have been doing for thousands and thousands of years before that. Um, we give it different names, but it's still the same thing. Mm. It's still the same uh, art form and craft. We're still... At the root of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're still getting up there and telling a story that hopefully people will be interested in and uh, entertained by. So because we are still doing uh, the same thing, a lot of the lessons carry over from decade to decade to decade. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm, a, uh, I, I'm a loud performer. I have a really, really uh, loud voice uh, because when I started doing theater, when I was growing up in Mississauga, uh, the theater that we had, Metaville Theater, still there. <laughs> big, big barn. Uh, they did big, big musicals uh, and didn't have uh, uh, lav mics. And okay. so you had really to. you really had to had to project. Paint the ceiling and the back wall with exactly. your voice. <laughs> exactly. Have you ever done TV? Yes. Uh, and every t everything every time I've ever done anything remotely on film, they always cut the first scene and ask me to <laughs> bring like, it down. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What? Yeah. I'm making big choices. Um, <laughs> and you're like, no, the camera's this close to your face. You don't need to scream at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's literally mics everywhere. Yeah. But it's funny because even though, uh, uh, even though uh, I know a lot of people who are like, you really don't need to sing so loudly. Um <laughs> Under clearly communicating the story and the character uh, are sometimes things that you can't rely on a microphone for. Right. It totally. has to be about that. The that, gut. that yeah, that natural sound and and coming from deep, deep within. So that's what I connect that to. Mm -hmm. um, which uh, it's funny you brought up TV because, like, ultimately, like I am a creature of the theater. Like the theater is what I love doing it's what I trained to do it's what I want to do forever I'm happy to dance off into tv and film and commercials every now and then um it's super lucrative like mm -hmm. I did a I did a Blue Jays commercial two years ago that paid me so much money I just could not <laughs> almost deal with it um <laughs> but theater's my, theater's my jam theater theater's the thing theater is where I, I'm happy. I'm happiest when I get to sing and dance and work on a scene and combine all of the things into into an experience. Yeah. Yeah. There's something, I mean, with theater that's not like with TV is that there's that instant, you instantly know if you're doing something good or something bad, mm -hmm. right? right? Whereas mm -hmm. film and TV... It's just super dependent on who's around you. Like if yeah. someone's going to pump your tires, it's great. Good job. Did it feel good? Good. But with, like, <laughs> with, theater, with theater, I feel like there's an instant response. If you're mm -hmm. doing something bad, it's going to be like mashed potato face. And if you're doing something exciting, people are going to be leaning forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I do think that there's something really lovely about 
that um, kind of nonverbal communication that happens between yeah. um, audience or participants versus performers. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, does it make you kind of sad though when you get a paycheck like that from one Blue Jays commercial versus like all your love in theater and work and you're like, there's a disconnect between those two things? Uh, it does. Uh, uh, to to break it down into specifics, uh, and this is not me bragging, obviously, this is just me stating an example. Um, my Blue Jay commercial for which I uh, I was on set for not even a full day. <laughs> uh, I made $15,000 from that, which is a mind-blowing amount of money to me. Mm-hmm. And then you, you toddle off to the theater where you're <laughs> standing with your hat at the end of the show being like, moms, moms for the poor. <laughs> At the very end. So that can be hard, but uh, uh, I'm fortunate uh, as an equity member, right. um, uh, the industry minimums that uh, equity contracts are at, they're they're decent. I can I, I can go home at night and feel like I can pay my rent and and not be terrified of not having any money ever when I'm on uh, an equity contract, which is obviously not all the time, but um, I'm fortunate when it happens. And I think as, as uh, performers in Canada, uh, uh, the protections of equity are a good thing. Right. And, and the minimums are, are on that list. Um, you're on the board. You hold a position with equity. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm on equity council. Uh, I'm uh, one of the seven councillors for Ontario, and then I'm on the I'm the second vice president of council as a whole. Right. So uh, my vice president position is uh, it's uh, uh, communications and member engagement and things like that. And I take it very very seriously. Like right. I remember when I joined Equity, um, nobody told me. Uh, what to do or what the rules were or, or how to, it was just, they were just kind of, here's your package. Nice to meet you. Go. Uh, specifically, uh, the woman that I was dealing at the office was, was, uh, it didn't make me feel joyful about joining. And so I remember that. So I personally email every, uh, every new member, uh, in Ontario, um, I personally welcome them to the association and make sure they have my content, uh, contact information in case they have any questions or concerns or uh, don't know how something works and want to or or things like that. Great. Yeah. 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 Well, there's no uh, equity or there's no union for dancers. Yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about what about Kata? Is did, did Kata is that is that a is that a thing? Is that is Kata's that a, a thing? Yeah. It's, a, it's a thing, but it's like guidelines, <laughs> and okay. it's like these are what we should be doing, and like they are doing a good job, I think, of making that information available for people. Yeah. But it's also not available to everyone. Yeah. Like 
I've had people reach out to me in TV and film looking for rates for dancers and then have no idea that these things exist. Or they're like oh. quoting you things. And I'm like, did you know actually for every minute of choreography that you ask a choreographer to create, it's $300? And they're like, mm, oh, it's like out of our budget. And I'm like, yeah, well, well <laughs> here's the here's the screenshot. Here's the email. Right. You know, yeah. and I'm like, for your reference, these are it. Yeah. You know, and it's, I don't know. And I... Is it the dance union that's been calling out dancers or people in the music and TV? In the state specifically. Yes. Specifically so, at like Beyonce, Justin Bieber and them. Yeah. Yeah. They're not paying their dancers. Like, and if those people aren't paying yeah. their dancers and those dancers probably have agents yeah. and their agents aren't standing up for them. Like who, like, what are we going to get paid like down yeah. here? You know? Yeah. So it's. And the dancers is such an important part of it. Like that's. Oh yeah. Like. You can't have a Beyonce music video or a, a Jay Beebs uh, music video without really, really strong dancers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, top of the those yeah. dancers are top of the top. Yeah. If you're making dance music, you need to have dancers yeah. in your music video. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so it's always been like an intriguing idea to me, like what it takes to get a union started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 difficult. I'm a member of ACTRA as mm -hmm. well, and. Uh, one of the differences between ACTRA and Equity is uh, there's just so much more film and TV than there is theater. Right. So ACTRA is a much, much bigger uh, union mm -hmm. versus Equity, uh, which is actually not a union. It's a it's an association. So there's there's uh, some like legal differences there, but uh, I I do think that if if the theater industry was larger in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, there might be a time when uh, equity could become a union, the way equity in the states is a union. And um, but labor politics is a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so if it's just an association and not a union, mm -hmm. what is? That means that you can take like non-equity jobs, or uh, just like from it, part of actor you can, right? Uh, uh, it actually doesn't. So, oh. uh, so uh, if you're a member of Equity, uh, there are some situations in which you can take a non-equity job. For example, um, even though I'm an Equity member, when I directed uh, Putnam County Spelling Bee last year, because it was a production at York. It was my first time as a director. Mm. Uh, there was an argument to be made uh, about um, work experience in a new discipline. Right. So they let me work without reference to an equity contract, um, okay. which was uh, real nice of them and very, very helpful. Um, so it's, it's, it, equity is not in, uh, as inflexible as I think a lot of people perceive it to be. Okay. Um, Actra really has some strong muscles, I think, yeah. when it comes to it comes to that. Right. 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 Yeah. Mm. What type of things do you think Equity would push back on then? They allowed that. Uh, equity would push back on. Uh, people uh, doing community theater, um, people doing, uh, working at a theater like, uh, like Lower Ossington Theater mm, okay. uh, or Heart House. Um, 
And again, everybody's situation is different, so uh, a concession is possible. Like it, it, mm -hmm. it, it could be made, but the entire point of being an equity performer is working under certain standards and right. uh, professional standards and and um, uh, monetary minimums. Right. So if a theater. Uh, if a theater can't, uh, just like you were saying with the dancers in in film and TV, right. if, if they can't afford that, mm -hmm. then maybe hiring equity people is not what they should be doing. Right, mm -hmm. and they maybe be yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Which is a whole other side of it because if they're looking elsewhere, then yeah, yeah. Right. Jobs. But there is a, you know, there is, there is a, uh, an argument for remaining non-equity for a while before joining. Like, I think that's also uh, something that should be talked about. Um, it, things can be hard if you join equity too early in your career. Mm -hmm. If you are not working enough to make joining equity worthwhile to you right if um because it'll it'll stop you from you. getting jobs yeah 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 and getting jobs is how we get experience and how we get experience is how we get more and better, better jobs yeah. so there is a kind of you have to level up yeah. every time mm. yeah. yeah i didn't join equity until i was 37 for okay. example you know um some people join it right out of uh right out of school some people join it a few years later some people uh never join uh, and so there's, there's different ways that, that you can kind of make that choice work for you. I remember, uh, before I joined, um, I was like, should I, should I not? Should I, should I not? I don't know. And, uh, uh, I asked Brendan Healy for some advice, uh, cause, um, uh, Brendan, when he was, uh, AD at, uh, Buddies in Bad Times, um, approved my residency there. Uh, we have a good working relationship. I assisted him, uh, directing a play at Factory Theater. Um, now he's at Ken Stage, which is awesome. Uh, but he said, joining equity, um, I, I I'm not going to tell you to join or to not join. You just have to think about like what kind of actor you want to be. Do you want mm. to be the festival actor who is at Stratford and Shaw and like that level of work? Yeah. Do you want to continue moving on in cabaret? Do you want to do more collective creation? Do you want to work at regionals? Like, like figuring that out will help you with, with this. And that was great advice, and I really appreciated it because so many other people were like, ah, don't join, or, oh, you have to join right away. What are you doing wasting your time? And, um, <laughs> Somebody's growling at you? Yeah, yeah. I know lots of pirates, apparently. Um, <laughs> but Brendan was, uh, Brendan was really, um, really thoughtful and really kind of granted me a lot of, like, autonomy in right. this situation, mm. which... As artists, I think so often we feel like we don't have uh, and we lack. Yeah. Um, so I've been able to make it work for me because uh, uh, something else that I believe super, super strongly is um, I'm not uh, I'm, not, I'm not a festival actor. I'm not a musical actor. I'm not a play actor. I'm an actor.
actor. Like, I don't believe in the rigid definitions of, of what we do and slotting ourselves into narrow boxes. I happen to have done a lot of musical theater, but I also happen to have done a lot of plays. I happen to have done a lot of collective creation. I happen to have done a lot of cabaret. So whenever anybody uh, uh, thinks of me as one thing mm -hmm. that, <clears throat> excuse me, that really gets my back up, that really gets me annoyed. Um, and I think it's because, uh, so I'm mixed. Um, uh, I mentioned before, like uh, my mom's family is Irish. My dad's family is Dominican. Um, I was born here in Mississauga. I'm queer, which is a separate identity from uh, gay. I just don't like being defined by <laughs> other people. <laughs> I don't like being slotted into like a pre-decided box. I never have. It's mm. anathema. It's anathema to my to to me uh, overall. And especially when it comes to work, it drives me nuts. Mm. It, it drives me nuts. The snobbery that some uh, people uh, in uh, straight theater have towards musical performers makes me insane. Mm. The disrespect that dancers get from some actors make me makes me insane. Um, we're all artists. We're all performers. And um, attempts to further define us, I think, uh, really limit us and, and really hold us back from achieving a lot of the things that we can and should be achieving. Right. I think there's like a big push in Toronto, especially right now, that are starting to cross those lines and people are starting to come from different disciplines to yeah. work together to create more interesting and more engaging yeah. practices yeah. or theaters for shows for people, for yeah. audience members, yeah. which in like, like you said earlier... That's my work here. Yeah, yeah. I love I love how many dance shows that I've been to in the last uh, few years, uh, where the dancers have lines mm. <laughs> and get to speak text. Like that's something really that I think is 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 <laughs> I love it. Is super cool. <laughs> yeah. Is super is super awesome. Um, so, uh, so often in musical theater, I think some of the funniest line readings I've heard have been from dancers who have like <laughs> like the one line, but they're going to come on and they're going to land that line yeah. if, it, <laughs> if it if it kills them. Yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 nice to see people uh, going out of their comfort zone and 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 trying new things and and expanding definitions and kind mm -hmm. of rejecting the idea of oh I'm this only see me as this. Yeah. This weird thing happened after I did Hedwig and Angry Inch. Um, we did what? Uh, uh, Hedwig and Angry Inch. Oh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> Great musical. Uh, so, so good. So uh, I played Hedwig uh, years and years and years ago. Um, Hedwig is a German uh, punk singer who survived a botched sex change and it was kind of left between genders and then moved to America where her career failed spectacular. It's a, lots of disappointments, lots and lots of, lots of strange things happen in that show. Anyway, after Hedwig, I got, uh, a lot of people struggled to see me as anything else other than the particulars of what Hedwig was. Whereas going into the show, people were like, oh, that's not you at all. You're not German. You're not trans on any level. You're, you're certainly not a 
punk singer. And afterwards, uh, twice uh, I got offers from people who were like, yeah, so like this character is like a German trans. And I said, nope. <laughs> I know where this is going. Right. Um, some people were like, okay, so this is this character is a uh like a punk rock and roller. And we're kind of like maybe seeing like like a Eastern European <laughs> so influence. Weird. That's so weird. And I was like, are you literally just reading the top line of my resume and not, <laughs> and not. the rest of it? Right, right. Or have you only seen me in one thing? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it it, uh, it 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 can be frustrating when when that kind of uh, typecasting happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder sometimes because I felt this. We also sometimes do it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, like you mm-hmm. only go to the auditions that you think you have a chance at. Yeah, you only hang out with the same group of performers, mm-hmm. um, and you like stay in your comfort zone so that you feel safe mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i remember oh god i just sounded so old my rule for coming in here today was like never say i remember and i'm just like okay before every story back in my day um, <laughs> um uh when rent happened in the 90s um uh, i was never cast but i i got close a few times i got quite far along the callback process and uh, both times were for uh, the role of Collins. Um, I, I I don't think I'm a Collins. I don't think that's my energy. It's certainly not my voice type. Mm-hmm. Um, but because that's how I look, that was kind of like the deciding factor for a lot of people. Oh, Ryan looks like this. So like that's uh, a Collins that could, that could make happen. Collins is angels. Yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that was very, uh, that was frustrating. And that was something that uh, actually carried with me for a long time. Just like the idea of, of okay, uh, I'm this type. So I just got to be this type. I got to look out for the things that are my type. And right. That's so limiting. And, and if you're just going to play the same version of something, over and over and over and over and over again. It doesn't really stretch you very much as an artist. It doesn't really take you to new new places. Right. So. But a lot um, of people have made, like, very excellent, su- yeah. successful careers out of playing the same mm-hmm. role. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm, very, I'm thinking of, like, very particular TV people. Or, like, oh, film yeah. people. Um, Podcast listeners, if you could see the faces of everybody in the room right now... <laughs> You would see how hard we're all biting our tongues. <laughs> to not. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, I don't think any of those people are going to be listening to this. Um, I mean, where did that just go? Oh, fuck. Um, anyways, we all know them. Yeah. yeah. They play, like, one character or, like, the funny guy or this person yeah. or end of a single show. Yeah. Or TV. Yeah. I mean, like, but works work. Do you think <laughs> it's works work? I guess everybody's got to pay the bills. But also, you wonder about, like, the people on their team that aren't challenging them. Mm-hmm. Or if if maybe they don't believe in themselves. Or mm-hmm. we're just not seeing any of their work. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. They're, they're doing yeah. these jobs because, like, it gets them money. Yeah. Because it's easy. They show up. Yeah. They do their thing. And it, like, lets them live the life and, mm-hmm. like, do the artistic practice. Yeah. 
that they actually want. Mm-hmm. And that stuff's like so weird and obscure, no one sees it <laughs> or it's shit, you know? Right. <laughs> Do you guys remember Camilla Scott? Uh, she had a talk show in the 90s. Canadian. I was born in 92. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Back in my day. Um, so no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so uh, Camille Scott had a, a like a, a Ricky Lake style talk show um, on CTV here in the 90s. Uh, and then left that and then was in the original cast of Mamma Mia here. Mm-hmm. No, she wasn't in the original cast. She replaced, uh, what's her face? Um, Louise, uh, Louise Petro, uh, and then did Mamma Mia here for a long time. But it's, uh, it was really amusing at the time because people were like, oh, Camille Scott can sing. She's TV. She's not music theater. But because of her TV show, everybody had forgotten her theater chops. Like right. she has, she has played Evita. She has played mm. these big, big roles before. So, Stepping into Mamma Mia, it wasn't, oh, this new musical theater thing. It was her coming back to what she'd always done after a little, like, hop, skip, and jump over to TV that unfortunately has kind of, like, defined everything else now. Like, right. For her in terms of people remembering her career. So, mm. yeah. What do you want to be remembered as? Oh, uh, I feel like... I I would like to be remembered as uh, as somebody who was part of the team, as somebody who didn't think of himself as uh, out front solo alone all mm-hmm. the time. Uh, I would like to be remembered as somebody who uh, tried to do things for other people um, uh, through my equity work and through some other things I've done in my life. Uh, I would like to be remembered uh, as part of the 2019 cast of Lilies at Buddies and Bad Times. Uh, um, and I think overall, I, I would I would like to. I don't know if there's something specific I want. I would like to be remembered uh, for. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think there's also there's also a lot of of beauty in not being remembered, right? Like theater is so ephemeral. There's, there is is no lasting, other than some pictures or whatever, there's often no lasting reminder of, of what we've done. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm okay with with that. Well, no, but I, mean, I want to be in a textbook somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. There is like some interesting and something nice about autonomy, though. Mm-hmm. Or Anonymity is what I'm looking for. Yes. Anonymity. Yes. Anonymity. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Privacy. Being, privacy and yeah. being yeah. able to like move through the world and not have people constantly. Yeah. You know? So actually, it's funny you say that. So something that I learned in my career is how much I don't want to be famous, and that kind of sounds like an oxymoron for people in the arts. But I've definitely been around enough people who are famous to see how much it really screws up their life and, and how, how unhealthy it is for them and, and how they would just be a lot more happier and satisfied if they could do the work they do just without the fame aspect attached to it. Right. So 
it's hard because obviously like one wants to have a successful career and one wants to to um uh advance in their craft and advance in the industry but for me there's always been a uh, there's a wall that I feel like I would hit at some point being like okay so if I cross this wall then things are going to be too much in that fame category for me right it's also like interesting that I think arts and performance is one of the only professions where people want to be known all over the world for what they do Mm -hmm. it's not like lawyers or doctors. (laughs) They want to be like well-known and respected within their community, but I don't think they like also want to be famous all over the world. Maybe I might be like making assumptions, but I don't know too I many mean, have lawyers. You ever hung but I feel out like with any right. finance guys? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're wrong when it comes to investment bankers, but maybe. <laughs> Just fair, fair. But you know what I mean? It's like as they tag Casamigos and everything. Sorry, what? <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I guess it's the only kind of <coughs> where that's like the really big end goal. Or it's like for someone else. Yeah, sometimes I I think it depends on what I think the end goal is usually just to make a shit ton of money. I think, and I think sometimes it's money has a lot of um, qualities with fame. Yeah, like yeah. Mon- money is associated with fame. Yeah, yes. I don't think people want to be. I mean, maybe they want to be famous because they're like, like that's who they are. But I also think a lot of people want to be famous because that means that you're making money. Yeah. Right. There's that there's that monologue in in Chicago, Roxy's monologue, uh, that's all about kind of like her ambition to be a vaudeville star. Right. And she says, um, uh, uh, and the audience loves me. Mm-hmm. And I love the audience for loving me, and they love me for loving them, and we love each other, and that show business. Yeah. Uh, which is such a great line, but it's also the lie of all time because that's not love. That's not something that you can take home with you and begin uh, um, begin your day with. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a tangible thing. Yeah, which I think is super Roxy, actually, yeah. because Roxy's life is actually sad. Yeah, it's very yeah. sad, and yeah. it just shows that when maybe it's sad, that's what you think you want. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fame is a weird, a very weird thing that I don't quite understand. I understand the appeal to it, but I don't understand the. Having your picture taken. Yeah. 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 There's also like a lot of weird bullshit, I think, that goes along with like your team calling photographers on you or you calling photographers. Oh, like that. All that paparazzi bullshit is insane. No, no, no. Right. right. And doing like the whole like, yeah. This camera's like 10 minutes for you. You're like on the phone. And like back to back to like autonomy, like, like, as an artist, and I'm not a control freak, but I do want to control my image. I don't want to be known for uh, running down a red carpet or or slurping my Starbucks at whatever place in WeHo. Right. I, I want to be known for my performances and, and, and the work that I do. Um, Nicole Bond and I uh, have a, uh, a, a close 
working relationship and a close friendship as well. But we've done a few things together that have kind of, for us, uh, fulfilled the baseline of what fame is without having actual fame. Right. And I think that's good for us. Like, uh, we did, um, uh, we, we, we did a, a, a duet of Total Eclipse of the Heart uh, at Pride one year. And it was just the, the literal thousands of people who were watching, who were singing along and, and having a, a good time, was just really like, wow. <laughs> um, at World Pride, we did, uh, uh, we did a great, big, colorful show, uh, lots, of, uh, lots of backup dancers, uh, lots of costumes, um, but I really kind of wanted to give Nicole like a feature in it just because we're close and she is Amazing. spectacular. Like it's, she's otherworldly to watch on stage. And uh, by the time we got to the end of that show and hit the curtain call, um, even in big shows and big concerts, there's always a curtain call for me. <laughs> uh, even, once we got there, l- literal thousands and thousands of people like, chanting our name and and screaming for us with their hands in the air and and just like in a state of bliss to me that is that's all the taste of fame that i need Mm -hmm. just to know that the the work that i have done and my friends have done uh has given people a good time and uh uh, a fun memory or or affected them positively yeah yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have to ask you. Yeah. Is being an artist fucking killing you? Yes. (laughs) But then, like, being an artist is also what's keeping me alive at the same time in this awful world we live in that's on fire and everybody hates (laughs) each other. And, like, God knows what is, like, like, everything is just awful. So there's a lot of joy in being an artist, but there's also a lot of pain in it. There's a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of um, physical agony. (laughs) There's a lot of health challenges. So uh, yes, being an artist is, is, is fucking killing me. And yes, being an artist is also like fucking keeping me alive in this world that is just so screwed up. We need art now more than ever, I think, and and uh, what we do is so necessary. And oh, now I'm getting all self-important artists, uh, <laughs> but it's true, is the thing. It's true. It's like in I think any big shifts in time and history, there is a lot of art in those times. Absolutely, because it's like how you fucking deal with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's how yeah. you how most people can deal with what's happening around them. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, cabaret stemmed from the World War Two. Yeah, yeah, cabaret Voltaire, and that's why it's so. Uh, that's why it's such a legit art form to me because it's immediate and it's 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 driven by something that that that's that's real and 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 exciting. So uh, I have uh, um, uh, I'm part of a, a, a big cast at a a, a big theater which is really exciting and has been a career goal of mine oh i just hit my microphone um and and has been uh, a career a career goal of mine to play for a long time 
And uh, the play is very much uh, about kind of like good and evil and and the extremes of 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 that. Um, they are. Uh, it was part of our contract that they were going to uh, 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 get us there uh, on Via Rail, and so looking at the situation now, it's yeah, like, well, happening? maybe it's going to be a Greyhound bus. Maybe it's going to be a border <laughs> airplane. Who knows? But the idea of making art about good and evil and light and dark and those choices juxtaposed against why there are blockades on the train really resonates with me. Mm-hmm. It, it really, it really makes makes me think of of the play in in current terms and and right. connects it to to right now. Probably what, gives it so much life. Yeah, for you. Yeah. What mm-hmm. is the good that we are creating in the world, and what is the the, the evil that we are creating in the world? Mm-hmm. What happens when we are war hungry and 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 crave destruction, and what happens when we uh, do things with uh, without permission. Right, right. All those things are in my head about this place. So mm-hmm. that's amazing. Yeah, I think it's a great place to end. Yeah. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Guys. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Really appreciate Thank your time. You yeah. You Take- can find Ryan on Instagram at Ryan G Hines. It's just my name. It's very easy to find. Mm-hmm. Also on Twitter. Also on Facebook. <laughs> Um, Any upcoming shows that you would like to talk about? Or uh, this big one that I can't talk about, so right. I'm not going to talk about right. it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I can't talk about that one e- uh, either. So uh, I'm doing a show in Montreal uh, in the summer uh, that I'm excited to do. And I can't talk about that either. So um, I have stuff coming up. I just can't talk about it. It's killing me. It's, it's fucking killing me. That's what's killing me. <laughs> How to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Thank you so much, Ryan, for uh, coming in, chatting with us. Yeah. Uh, If you have any questions or if you have any opinions about this episode, feel free to send us a DM, tweet at us, send us an email, do whatever you like. We love engagement. Hear from you. Yes. Um, also you can find us on Twitter at GalPalProds, on Instagram at GalPalProds. Check us out on our website, on our Patreon. Anywhere we can, uh, you can find podcasts. Do that. Thank you so much. With love. Thank you.